Hey, we're on. Um, we went to see something, didn't we? We did. Did you enjoy it? It was good. We went to Fact to watch uh, the new uh, Ben Affleck directed, Matt Damon starring, Jason Bateman starring movie about Michael Jordan. Who you don't the... actually see. Which I, f- I thought that was quite clever, though. I thought though. it was really clever. Cause, and I remember seeing an interview Ben Affleck and he said because Michael Jordan's probably one of the most famous people in the world so didn't need the representation of him in the film, which I thought was a great way of thinking about it. You see his back. Yeah, and yeah. And you see him from the yeah, side yeah. and you see little bits, but I don't think he ever... Does he ever speak? Did you hear his voice? No, it's really weird. He's there in scenes, but I think once you hear him say something off off camera, if that makes sense. But I, I, I really enjoyed it, but it was the soundtrack for me. Soundtrack's amazing. From the first minute yes. to the last minute. Every song is an absolute banger. <laughs> 80s banger. Um, do you know what? There's a couple of um, Bruce Springsteen was in there. Violet Femmes, the one that they used in the opening of Gross Point Blank. Da, da, yes, da, 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 I know. Da, da. I know. I, I like, noticed oh, that. Yes, I was like. But this comes back to that question of how much did that soundtrack cost? Because that can't have been. Yeah, cheap soundtrack. Um, that I think to use a Bruce Springsteen, I think Bruce Springsteen is one of the most expensive. Apart from like the Beatles mm. or Pink Floyd. Do you, do you think there's actors though that can get away with not paying? Can, do you think that can even no, happen? No, you, you don't think Affleck no, can drop no, the got, boss an email. <laughs> I think it's got to happen because of all the people involved. I think they could get permission, but they couldn't do it without permission, and he'd still have to pay. And plus, don't forget. It's the publishing company that owns the publishing rights to the songs. Mm. Not, not. I know musicians will have a share in it, but they've all. I know a lot of like all the big stars recently have sold their publishing deals to companies who then, in essence, they minders of the music and and stuff. So I know Neil Young's quite strict on who and who can't use his music. And Michael He's, Jackson used to own the Beatles, didn't? Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. What they should do on movies is just write their own feature. Hello and welcome to Watch It If You Can. My name is Liam. My name is Dave. This podcast is all about box sets we've created of our favourite films and TV shows. Some you've seen, some you won't, and others you may never want to watch. However, we can say, if you've never seen Lord of the Rings, you shall not pass. All we want to do is chat on about the films and TV shows we love so dearly and maybe just maybe you should watch it if you can. Dave, Liam, how are you? I'm all right. I'm are good. You, are you all right? Lovely, lovely evening again. Look, now the sun is out. I've noticed as we start talking about the weather in the last couple of episodes. I think it's because every time we when we started, it was so dull, wasn't it? We were sat in here, we had to put the light on. And yeah. now it's like sun's shining, there's kids on skateboards outside, winding the dog up. <laughs> um, yeah, Edna, my dog was barking. So if you do hear any barking in the background, it's Edna. Right, shall we just get cracking? This is Box Set 2, episode... This seven? 
I believe it is. It's seven now, yeah, oh, yeah. My... Pirates last week was six, yeah. Yeah, so we've only got a couple of episodes left in the box set, and then we're on to box set three before you know it. If, but we, get, anyway, if we get renewed. If we if get renewed. Fingers crossed. Well, it, we're going for that difficult second album stage, are we? <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait and see what happens. So, Dave, first question, as always, what is it? Oh, this is one of my like favourites of all time. It's The Untouchables. Released in 1987. It's directed by Brian De Palma and written by David Mamet. Um, if you've never seen it, it's set in 1930. It's during Prohibition. Um, it's around famous gangster Al Capone who's running and basically terrorising Chicago. The Bureau of Prohibition um, agent... Elioness, he leads a team to bring Capone down. It features an Irish-American officer called James Malone. They then recruit an Italian-American trainee called George Stone, whose birth name was Giuseppe Petri. And they also recruit an accountant called Oscar Wallace. It is based on historical events, but most of the film is inaccurate or a bit fictional. A bit, a bit fictional. Ness's team had very little to do with Capone's tax evasion conviction. Capone apparently told his Chicago gangs to actively avoid killing or even harming Ness, which does happen in the, in the film. Capone apparently did frequently try to bribe them, though, in yeah. real life. He decided sort of violence against them would just lead to greater problems. One of the one of the other inaccuracies is the fact that Ness and Capone, they never met in real life, but they do in the film. Dave, why is it your choice this week? There's two reasons, and I know we're going to talk about who's in it, but I'd say the two reasons I love this film, and probably one of the reasons why I went to see it at the time, um, or sorry, certainly watched it when it when it was available for, to watch, um, Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. Kevin Costner is in probably three of my top ten films of all time. I'm just a huge Costner fan, so this include that does include Untouchable, Untouchables in there. Connery, obviously... Was Bond, wasn't he? Yeah. Mr. Sort of Cool. So I think having those two as your leads would have drawn me in to, to sort of watch it. I do love a gangster movie, do you? I love a gangster movie. I like a gangster movie, and this has definitely got one of the best sort of actors you could ever have as your main gangster. Um, we're going to talk about who's in it, but definitely for me, it was it was Costner and Connery. Connery in our house... This probably comes down to our James being such a Queen fan, but Highlander was on constantly in our house, yes. and Flash Gordon was on because of the Queen soundtrack. But so I, I, as a very young kid, I knew Connery probably from Highlander, maybe even before Bond. It's a bit of a weird way of of thinking. See, I think of Connery, and I do think of Bond. It's without doubt. But you're right to to to. 80s generations, which we are, I suppose Connery in Highlander was it was great, and also um, War of the Roses was a massive film back then. I've never actually seen it, but people always go on that's a great film. No, I don't think I've seen that one though. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have seen this on the cinema at the time because we were just kids in 1987, yeah. but I definitely would have seen it as soon as it came out on VHS, even though it was an 18. I think I definitely would have would somehow have somehow sneaked it in, but yeah, I think the the main reason probably is is that I mean the the irony of kind of the fact that I love it, it nearly wasn't even those people, you know. De Palma initially wanted Don Johnson to be Elliot Ness, which actually wouldn't have been a good. I would would have been really interesting. Don Johnson, yeah. I wonder. Would like to know why he turned it down. 
I don't know. I think sometimes as well, like the the scripts for stuff like this, they're so sprawl and aren't they? I mm. imagine it's quite probably quite hard. But of, of some other people who, who nearly got it was Mickey Rourke, Jeff Bridges, William Hurt, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford would have been good. Uh, Michael Douglas as well turned it down. And apparently there was an article where Variety announced that Jack Nicholson was in it, which obviously never happened. But ultimately, I'm glad with the ones that got it. I love all, all them names there. Don Johnson, Harrison Ford, Michael Douglas especially would have been great. But as a Costner fan, I'm so glad. I'm so glad he got it. <laughs> well, a couple of things I wonder is, you know the producer... Of and such was as Art Linton, who's also the executive producer along with his brother on Yellowstone. So I wonder if this is where the working relationship began with Costner and the Linton brothers, because I think they've worked together quite a lot. Because he was only, um, he wasn't a big star at the time, Costner, was he? He was still quite new on the block, wasn't he? Yeah, he'd done, done, a, done a few films, but certainly, well, I don't think he was the, 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 the big name, was he? Certainly, um I think having Costner, sorry, Connery and De Niro in there, they were the two bigger names than him by far, weren't they? Well, did you hear who De Palma, the Brian De Palma, who was the director, originally had Bob Hoskins lined up to play Al Capone because he couldn't get De Niro at the time, but De Niro was his first choice. Then De Niro's film schedule changed, but Bob Hoskins still got paid a six-figure fee for just being on standby oh, really? and Brian De Palma was like the best standby I ever had <laughs> and I just think it, Bob Hoskins as Al Capone would have been interesting as well definitely yeah. I think that's one for one of the um, spin-off episodes of people who were yeah. nearly and stuff because one of the Wayans brothers was meant to be Robin in the Batman and Robin apparently got paid something like you know, millions yeah. for actually not ever being in it Bob Hoskins would have been really good but again I think the choices in the end are perfect yeah. As good as those actors are, especially like Harrison Ford, you know, we're big Harrison Ford fans, but Costner's brilliant in this and everyone else's. As we're already talking about the actors, Dave, might as well ask the question, who's in it? So, surprise, surprise, Kevin Costner's we Get just mentioned. Get shut the front door! <laughs> <laughs> so he's Elliot Ness. If you don't know Kevin Costner, where have you been living? Oh, don't even, um, like... Like, don't even be listening to this podcast if you do not know who Kevin Costner is. So it's currently John Dutton in Yellowstone. The other films on my list then are my top five, top five, ten favourite films of all time. Field of Dreams. Oh, yes. It's definitely in there. Um, no Way Out for me, it, it, which came out in 1987 with um, Gene Hackman. But other films he's sort of famous for, Bull Durham, JFK, the Oliver Stone movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. I know he gets a lot of stick for the I accent. I don't think it's that bad, to be honest. Care. To be fair, Christian Slater's accents is far worse. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to talk about... And, and if we're going for the accents, what accent was Morgan Freeman meant to be? Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. you know Leave Costner alone. Yeah. Um, and of course, Connery is pops up at the end of that as well. Connery, yeah. Connery's... Um, King Richard. King Richard right yeah. at the end. So he's an Oscar winner for Dancers with Wolves. I really love The Bodyguard. Oh, I love The Bodyguard. I think that's really overlooked, The Bodyguard. I, I do. Think people think it's about a cheesy love story because Whitney Houston's in it. Yeah. It's a brilliant film. It's a great film. It's a great action film as well. So my two recommendations for Costner. No Way Out, definitely. Because, again, that's I don't think that's a film that's talked about enough. It's a thriller. Uh, Gene Hackman, um, Sean Young's in it. And Let Me Go. Uh, sorry, Let Him Go, which came out only 
in 2020. That's a really good film. I popped one down here and I've already mentioned it on one of our previous podcasts. Um, The Highwayman or The Highwaymen might be with him and Woody Harrelson. I enjoyed that. It was a Netflix movie, wasn't it? But only because I mentioned it because it was written by John Fusco, who wrote Young Guns. Another another pullback, yeah. yeah, Another deep cut to Young Guns. Yeah, there you go. So go on, who else is in it? So James Malone is played by Sean Connery, who was Bond in seven movies, if you're counting Never Say Never Again. which wasn't an official canon. It's not an Eon movie, but we're counting it. He was in Hitchcock's Marnie in 1964 and then The Man Who Would Be King in 1975. That's not bad back-to-back. Highlander, of course. Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Yeah. Playing Professor Henry Jones, Indiana's dad. He's in The Rock, which, when you think about it now, that's crazy, isn't it? Because it's it's just a bonkers movie. Okay, so I'm sure we've spoken about it. And you mentioned he was in, he played James Bond seven times. Is he Bond? Is that what you're going to ask me? Is, because is, that, is that character James Bond? I think it is. I, I think they purposely played on that a little bit, but like, not obviously. That's what I love about it, because he, was, he, he implied he was British Secret Service, but it was very shrouded and secrecy and... I, mm. I just think the producers and writers purposely played on that a little bit, but I just think it adds so much more to the. In my head, when I watch it, he's, he's an bond. old, he's he an old, bond, he's an old bond, and it would make sense as well. It really would. But my recommendation, though, is Hunt for Red October, which he did with Alec Baldwin in nineteen ninety six. That's my one of my favorite all time Connery films. I've got one more on there, uh, Medicine Man. Is a really good film. That is a good film. Yes. Yeah, and Rise and Sun with Wesley Snipes. I've not seen that for a long time. Oh, I, I had that on VHS. That's why it's on my list. And it's one of them films that it's probably not amazing, but I remember having it on VHS and used to watch it. I might be wrong, but wasn't it just really long? Wasn't it like a good two and a half hour, three hour movie? That I sort remember. of rings a bell with me why it wasn't one that I kind of watched over and over. Uh, we mentioned Al Capone. He's played by Robert De Niro, nearly, nearly played by Bob Hoskin. He's got over 100 films, oh. so we're going to have to spend a, a little bit of time just going over a couple, because I've yeah. got some more of my recommendations, to be honest. We'd be here all day if we did De Niro films. Taxi Driver, obviously, Raging Bull, Deer Hunter, Godfather 2, Goodfellas, Casino. <laughs> Backdraft, for me, is one of my favourite films. Cape Fear. But I'm going to stop there. I'll let you come in. I'll do, but I'll do one more in recommendation and definitely a film I want to do on a future podcast, Midnight Run. Yeah. I absolutely well, love Midnight Run. I'm going to say one because it's definitely on my list to do next on the next box set, Heat. Oh, Heat's amazing. I've got a couple um, I picked out for Rob De Niro is, and I love the, the parallel between these two, King of Comedy which is Gus Gay's one where he plays the guy who wants to be a, ch- a talk show host, doesn't he? Essentially and, remade as the Joker. And that's what... <laughs> then you going to say Then the he cast him in the Joker as the talk show host. Mm. And I just think that was... That was, that was that's meta. You know, they knew what, they, knew what they were doing yeah. when he brought him in the Joker. I just think those two great. I've also got... I still think Jackie Brown is... I always go on about Jackie Brown. is my favourite... 
uh, Tarantino movie. The violence isn't there. Although it's violent, it's so it's so different, Jackie Man, because they're all most of the violent scenes almost cuts away and you don't see it. Mm. So it's not all about the violence. It's it's about the story of Jackie Brown. But I think he's brilliant in it because he plays an absolute idiot. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, lo- I love a good idiot on film. Anything with Michael Keaton, I'm already sold yeah, on as well. So I always think he often people could forget he's in. So the other two actors that make up um, Elliot Ness's team, Andy Garcia plays George Stone. He yeah. was in Internal Affairs, Godfather 3. He's been in The Simpsons and Frasier. Yes. Which seems to be a running theme with some of the actors in our yeah. thing. Recently, he was in Rafa Man. Have you seen that? With no. um Jason Statham. That's actually quite a good film, though. My recommendation, though, is from 1989. It was directed by Ridley Scott, starring Michael Douglas, who was nearly in this film. Black Rain. I've got that on my list. It's oh, great. Film. I actually had, and we mentioned it before, Swan Video and Derby Lane. Remember they used to give you, when you got, they took posters down from the windows. Have you got a Black Rain poster? I, I had a Black Rain poster. I don't know a lot of people have seen it. I'll be honest. It's not... It's not really spoken about, and it Any doesn't film seem that, to be on. It's all about like it, 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 Michael Douglas is going like on a hunt for Yakuza or something like that. It's any any like late eighties, early nineties loved Yakuza the movies. It was a bit of a theme about them. Wasn't when it? it's on, it's on on BBC One at like half ten, eleven o'clock at night, um, and I think it sort of gets missed. The other character that we mentioned, who is the accountant Oscar Wallace, is played by Charles Martin Smith. He's a character actor. He popped up in things like Fringe. He's in episodes of Ali McBeal, X-Files. And he appeared in a TV show called The Untouchables Mm. um, in 1993. And he was also in another show with Michael Douglas. He was in Streets of San Francisco as well. The only one I pulled out here, he was in Here Because Bananas. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I love a hairy film. I'll That's do just it. one from um, Bank Holiday, isn't it? Bank yeah. Holiday Monday, um, yes. Herbie would be on with a, a carry-on film, yeah. Herbie and a Bond. Okay. Um, it, uh, just just before we move on, the, the it's written by David Mamet, who wrote uh, Glenn Glary, Glenn Moss. Yes. you ever seen that again? Another link to Alec Baldwin and Kevin Spacey and some of the other actors we've mentioned. Brian De Palma, who directed this, also did Scarface, did Carlito's Way, but did the first Mission Impossible film as well. He's he's had a bit of a funny career, Brian De Palma, because he's made some absolute stinkers in between, and then and then some amazing films mm. as well. Like he's he's um, he's a very stylized director as well. Like we. I remember doing when I was in college years ago. I did media studies. One of one of my mates in college was he was a big Brian De Palma, the fan, and he's 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 a bit of a magpie director. Is in he steals things from other directors mm. and copies them, but still does it in such a good way. He's he's an amazing director. Um, I'm just gonna pick out you missed Patricia Clarkson who played Costner's wife. Small, yeah. I've got, I just, I just went with the main four and Capone. So you got some other, you got honourable mention. You got yeah, honourables. Got honourables. Honourables. Only because she played Tammy Swanson, wife one, in Parks and Recreation. She did, yeah. So I was like, I love that. Uh, and she was also in Green Mile, and again, she was in about four episodes of Frasier. So I'm guessing she probably played. A girlfriend of Frasier, because like most girlfriends of Frasier's, they're only ever in for four or five episodes. She did, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember the episodes, but she was, she was like a, I think she was like a, 
oh, I can't remember now. Yeah, she definitely yeah, was. She's yeah, she's in there. But yeah, in, I believe Andy Garcia, did you mention he was in Frasier? Yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah, it said on IMDb he was, but I, I've recently rewatched all of Frasier and I, I remember her being in it. I do remember I episode, think but maybe I don't remember him at all. Is he one of the callers? Yes, that'll be it. Because there's, yeah. yeah but quite be. often he they didn't really credit them though because they mm. would, I don't know. But it'd be interesting to know. I think he's probably one of the callers. Okay, Dave, so there's who's in it. Out of all of them, who's your favourite actor? I've gone character? with James Malone. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. Which is I've got to say, it's mine as well. And I knew we'd both go for it. I, I was tempted not to because I thought it was too obvious. And I do, obviously, saying I was a Costner fan and then not picking Costner was a bit odd. But I've just put, you cannot ignore how good Sean Connery is as Jimmy in this. He was inspired by a real-life FBI agent called Martin J. L. A. Hart. Uh, Martin J. Lahart, sorry. Um, he was one of the nine agents known as the, the original Untouchables. The, the, the backstory to the character is that apparently he, he'd been a policeman for nearly 40 years before he did meet Elliot Ness. And he dies in the movie. Spoilers. We know the spoilers in our episodes. Mm-hmm. He dies at the age of 68. But there's a backstory I read, and I don't know if this is fan-made or where it's come from, but... He's born in Scotland to Irish parents and he emigrated to America. He didn't go to school. He just worked for his dad in a shop in New York. And the reason that he hates Italians in the movie is because the mafia used to extort money from his dad because okay. he owned the shop. And when he was 18, they moved to Chicago and his dad was killed by the mafia. And then that's why he decides to become a policeman. So he is your no-nonsense yeah. policeman. But the good thing about him is... He's not corrupted. No. He can't be corrupted. He could he's un- have, uncorruptible. He's uncorruptible and untouchable, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could have just stayed on the beat in the film. Yeah. He could easily have just done his job, what he was doing, day to day. He could have went on to retirement. But him linking up with Elliot Ness is just the key to why the whole movie works. I think he's... The most important character in it because for me, the main theme of the film is it tackles the story of it's not black and it's not white, it's far more complicated than that. And I think, um, Brandon Palmer really wanted to show because I think up until this point, any representation of Elliot Ness in, in TV film had been quite he's a good guy, straight fighting based. the bad guys. But what's the famous line by Sean Connery that he was always like... I'm going to do that next. Yeah. Get what I mean? So it's, a, it's that journey of Elliot doesn't become a bad person, but he realises to fight bad, he has to fight bad. If that makes, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, that's what's fascinating about the film. It's, and I'm going to use a word because I was reading a review about it and I don't think I've ever used this word in the context of a conversation but he desc- the, the writers described um, both the Palmer and David Mamet as iconoclasts because they break down the old tradition of what you think is black and white it's more complicated than that and I just wanted to use the word iconoclast <laughs> in a sentence because I was like I've never yeah. used it before but I was like I was like yet yeah, they do he's, he's almost a pains to show how lovely and sweet he is and then bit by bit and there's even that scene where they go and raid the I think it's the back of the post office and it's going to the bar for the first time and Sean Connery says we go through this door now. Yep. There's 
there's no going back and it's like and then as the film goes on Costner doesn't turn bad he just has to change the playing fields in order to catch them and that's where I think that I think that's that's where the film is just amazing yeah there's there's another line and we're going to talk about there's there's two particular lines in the film I think sum up the whole thing that you've just said there around Elliot Ness is seen as that kind of you know straight laced won't yeah. do anything wrong and he, he is he isn't corruptible in the same way that Jimmy's not corruptible but Jimmy will do what yeah. needs to be done yeah and that's the big that's the, the big thing without him in the film it it doesn't work does it no I think he's he's it's weird how when you picked um Martin from Frasier how he's such an important character he's the anchor the, isn't he anything Connery's the Jim Malone character is such an important character for Elliot Ness. Although Elliot Ness is the main story, I think it without Connery's character, it's just an it's just another good guy, bad guy story. But he's it, yes, it's always like he's the gateway, isn't he? Yeah, you know he's, I mean? he's he's got all that years of experience and never really had the chance to to use it. Yeah. For, you know, to bring down like the big names in the mafia, which you know, if you, if that backstory has got any um, sort of shred of truth to it, that that would that that is his pull for for going to work with Elliot Ness. I think he likes obviously him. You know, he likes that character, but from what his experiences with the mafia, I think he's seen it as an opportunity to do one big thing before you know he did retire. Yeah. Okay, so let's move straight on to what about what's your favourite scene? There's the too many, so I've had, to, yeah. I've had to now down because I just talk about the whole film. I just say right, I, the opening, the middle, the end. So I've gone <laughs> with the raid on the horseback is amazing, but more because of the score. Okay. The music's amazing for that bit. Um, the speech you mentioned before, though, so it's, it is it is what Connery says to... Um, to cost them in it is he pulls a knife you pull a gun he sends one of yours to the hospital you send one of his to the morgue that's yeah. the Chicago way and that's what it comes back to what you were saying as in Ness would never have thought like that would yeah. he you've got to go that one step above what the bad guys are going to do and what was it you said you've got to be be bad to be bad what was yeah, it sorry to, to, to fight the bad to fight bad you've got to be yeah. bad yeah and one of, one of the scenes that sort of pushes that is when Malone has got the guy who's already dead and holds him up and puts a gun in his mouth. Yeah, and it's all of that to make another guy tall. The guy's in the in the the um, not shack, is it the the, the yeah. like hut type house? He doesn't know the guy's dead, does he? They need him to talk, so Malone grabs a dead body essentially and makes it look like he's going to shoot him, and he and he does, doesn't he? It's bossy. I love it. It's a great scene, but again, Elliot Ness would never ever have done that. No, no, he would, and he and he didn't have to. Yeah, that guy, that guy would have just got put in handcuffs, taken away, and that would have been the end of it. They it's have got not anything. a million miles from Guy Pearce and what's his name in, in LA Confidential. Confidential yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like he, he, he steps back. Does that scene in LA Confidential? Yeah. Where the, the, Budweig throws the guy He's hanging about doing the yeah. They did literally straight away remind yeah. me that the, the, he doesn't was, stop him, does he? No, he doesn't no. agree with it, but he doesn't stop him either. And that's the that's when we go into the grey area. Yeah. And in life, grey areas when it gets more interesting. <laughs> but that is not my favourite scene. Okay. Um, my favourite scene again. Film's been out for years, so everyone should have seen it. It is Malone's death scene, and when I say his death scene, I mean the actual. 
when he's dying. So that the whole scene is brilliant. He's yeah. in his house, you know, the guy sneaks in to try and kill him, and it turns out Jack's kind of done it. Jack, sorry, Jimmy's double back, hasn't he? And yeah. he actually chases him out of the house, and you think it's over, and he, he you know, he gets shot as he's on the door. But it's just played brilliant, brilliantly because when Costner comes into the house, you think Malone's dead, don't you? He's, yeah, yeah. he's lying, he's face down, there's blood everywhere. So it's the actual death scene for me when Ness turns up and he turns him over and you think he's reaching for the cross on yeah, the chain. He's, he's, you think it's a bit of a religious thing, don't you? He's got, you know, he's trying to grab it and Costner gives him it and he throws it away and he's like, what are you after? And it's just this piece of paper and it's the train timetable because Capone's bookkeeper's coming in. And he grabs it and he gives it to him. And again, this is this is one of my other favourite lines in the movie. He says to him, what are you prepared to do? I I think that what are you prepared to do oh. is is the tagline for the film. What are you prepared the to music, do? The music, the acting, the setting. No, I, I would reel that back even more to when you say it's the scene. But the bit where you see him in his flat and he walks down... And the camera is positioned as the initial assassin. Watching him. And it follows him because along, that's Hitchcock. That's no same about yeah, Brandon yeah. Palmer. He's, he's a magpie. That's pure Hitchcock because it follows him outside all the way and then goes through the window. And it's just the planning of that scene is something else. And then it is sort of a twist that he doesn't get killed by him, does he? You've actually yeah, think he yeah. chases him out. And his death is actually him standing on the doorstep, yeah. isn't it? By yeah. by the other guy who, who kills him. So it, it is a, it's a genius scene, but just those few, whatever it is, 30, 45 seconds of him on the floor dying with with Elliot Ness over him, I think is the best scene in the in the whole film. Did you have did you have I've, a different one? I've got a couple. Um we've already I, I had the, the the Jim Malone scene. I just dying here and I just think it's it's unbelievable. Um but I, for me, if you say to me Untouchables straight away, I think of the the dinner table scene with all Al Capone's men and he walks around and then just the violence of him attacking the guy with the baseball bat in front of them all is just startling. Never, it never leaves me, that scene. And it just... I'm, to me, that is just De Niro at his most best. It's 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 a great yeah. scene. One other scene I'm going to come to is only because again, and I've mentioned it before, this this magpie element. I'm, I'm that's me weird so far. The magpie, <laughs> is you know the the end scene with the pram coming down the stairs. Yeah. So but so does a the Palmer completely ripped it off from. There's a Russian film from 1925 called Battleship Potemkin. Okay. It's one of the most famous. Whenever you do films of these, it's one of the most famous. There's a couple of films when you do films of these you need to watch. One of them is is film made in 1914, something like that, called Birth of a Nation. Bit racist now, but another one was Battleship Potemkin, made in 1925, and the other one is Citizen Kane. Now, why these are the three most important films ever made because it was the revolutionary use of Edison. They check basically up until that point that point storytelling was quite linear with a camera like just filming as in replicating going to theatre. But what these three films did was 
once you start cutting things up, edit them. So that scene in, in The Untouchables where the pram's coming down, yeah. in real life, that pram would have just went, but when you cut it up with like, goes down a step, it cuts to Costner, it cuts to the bad guys, it cuts to the mum, do, 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 two, st- two more steps, the babies in the pram, back to the mum, back to Costner, back to Garcia, back to the gangster, and literally what's something that would take 10 seconds if that in reality is 60, 70, 80 seconds long, but it's just, and that's, it's the tension building. That's isn't it? exactly what it is. It builds tension by it. So I think it's such an important scene. It's one of the most famous scenes in, in cinema history. And I know for a fact Brian De Palma was having a little nod <laughs> and a wink because who who do you see in virtually the scene just before and the scene in the shooting? But um sailors. Yes, you do. So obviously Battleship Temkin's about the battleship right. that attacks port. So that's why they so he's, past he's them. He's done it, what he does so well. He steals things, but it's like, it's like when a musician robs someone else's riff, it's like, because I love it. And so you're going to, you're just going to make it better as well. Yeah, it's all, it's all films, isn't it? All films, you can pick scenes and go, that feels very similar to something. And then all filmmakers borrow from each other. But if you ever see this scene from Battleship Potemkin, you will know exactly what Brian De Palma was doing. It's, it's, it's obvious, and then when you see the fact he has the sailors in there, I'm like, oh mate, you're taking the piss out of us now. But I love you, so I just, I just think that's brilliant. Okay, I think we've almost mentioned it, but what about the music? So the soundtrack is by Ennio um, Morricone, famous for the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Also worked on Django and Change for Tarantino. The main theme is one of the greatest themes ever for me. It's it's just unbelievable. The track called Al Capone, which is on the soundtrack, is just perfect for all the scenes with De Niro. The death theme when Malone shot and killed that we mentioned before, that that's amazing. On the rooftops is another track mm. uh, when Ness is chasing the bad guy and the, you know he's chasing through the court. But I challenge you to put Victorious on, which is which is the name on the tracks. Just put it on. It's only just over two minutes long. Blast it out, and I guarantee. Just listening to it, you'll just feel amazing. You'll feel uplifting. Put it on in your car. Put it on well, somewhere. It's it, it's called Victorious, and that track is just... I, I'll go one further. Go and get on Spotify and put a greatest hit of Ennio Morricone on, hmm. and it's just... It'll be the 70 minutes of just <laughs> gold. I, I've got a couple of his albums, and you know I love my music a lot. I he's I'm a big fan. I just... I just never mind soundtracks. I think he's one of the best songwriters. He's just because he has such an identifiable style. You're two bars into a song and you know it's his song. And yeah. that's when you know it's like everyone takes the piss out of Coldplay. You hear a Coldplay song within seconds, you know it's Coldplay. And that's he's got that same thing. I yeah. think he's an absolute genius. So if anyone's listening, listen to it if you can. <laughs> the soundtrack's amazing. It's brilliant, I think. yeah. All right, then, so the question... Now, this is going to be interesting for me, judging by what you've just mentioned of your favourite scene, <laughs> but what would you change? This one's quite easy, though, to be honest. As much as I love the film from start to finish, all the actors in it, all the performances, the script, the music, it's... I think it's neaty, isn't it, if you pronounce it? Yeah. 
uh, it's his death scene. So this is one of the bad guys. He's the guy. He's the guy who kills Malone, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant scene. So Ness, he's hanging off the side of the Ness. Elliot Ness chased him up, and he's, he's tried to jump over, and he's hanging off the side of the building. Elliot Ness pulls him up after kind of he's saying to him, you know, don't just stand there, arrest me. And he does because Elliot Ness is the good guy, isn't mm-hmm. he? Pulls him up, arrest, um, arrest, he's about to arrest him. Then he starts saying about Al Malone, you know, he died like a pig and he starts to wind him up. And you do think Elliot Ness is going to walk away and he throws him off the side of the building, which is, that that scene is amazing. That's brilliant. That that comes back to the, what are you willing to yeah. do, isn't it? And he knows this guy, if he arrests him, he's, he's probably going to get off. Yeah. You know, we've already just seen someone escape from the court. He, he throws him off. But what a change. It's the close-up special effects on that scene. They're just awful. And I get the fact that this is 1987. But I just don't think it needs it at all. So what we see is we see him getting thrown off. We see Costa looking looking sort of down at him. And he, the guy's screaming and Costa says, you know, did he sound anything like that? But it's got really bad special effects. It's obviously filmed in some sort of blue screen. Yeah. And then they cut up to the face. And then we see a long shot and we see him hit the car. I just scrap it all. I think we just needed to see. Come off the build. Yeah, yeah just costing yeah. the foam off and say, did he sound anything like that? Maybe the long shot and fall. And, yeah. And then the bit where he hits the car. But I go love back. the bit where he goes through the roof of the car. Oh, when he hits the car. And I think that was brilliant. it. That was it, yeah. I'm but there's you. just a bit where his arms and legs are flailing and it just looks terrible. It looks like that. It does look like those early 80s effects where they were just finding yeah. their feet yeah. and trying. St- and it. I give him total credit for trying stuff new of going, we've never really seen probably someone fall from a building. You know, we've not, you know, Superman had not long sort of been out, man, you know, that time a man can fly. And I just think it's the one bit that takes me out of the movie. I just go, I, I hate their effects on that well, scene. Why, why, why even bother? It's a bit similar for me, but you know what scene does my head in? The... The way they charge him on the horses, the Canadian border bridge, because love that scene. logistically, it doesn't have to make sense. It's all over the place, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. So they're in. There's the there's the river, it's the Canadian border. There's the it? bridge with the Canadian border. Now, any any of our listeners out there, I'm trying to I'm showing Dave with my hands, but obviously <laughs> you just have to take me with him. I'm explaining this. So there's the bridge, right and on it, sides. The here's bridge. the bank now. The bad guys come and park on the end, this end of the bridge and they all get out. Now, they're in a hut here on this side of the bank. The bit that annoys me, they walk out the hut where you can fucking see them because it's not that far away. They sneak around to the back of the hut, but you've had to go past them to get your horses, unhook your horses, get on them charge. But then there's a shot from the other side where they're charging at them. It's literally 20 yards away from the hut. They could have just ran out the hut and shot them. It, it, it pisses me. It just doesn't get it. It doesn't make sense. And also, the time takes them to cross the field. Now, if I was trying to ambush someone, they would have been behind them because also, <laughs> they come from the side. So if I was the bad guys, I would have just run off that way. But they didn't. He didn't see these four horses coming from the side. No, it's... but you get the theme. But you you've just touched upon, and really, it's it's quite funny how I maybe didn't pick that scene, and maybe it's my Costner blindness that I just 
I just accept the fact that that makes sense. I do hate in films and TV shows that scene where you'll see like a group of people walking along and then suddenly they'll go, oh, there it is. And it's like a mountain. Yeah. Or even in Jurassic Park, it annoys me a little bit. You know, when they first turn up in the car and they pull up and they're like, oh, it's all a bonky so It's like, you're telling me you couldn't see that <laughs> from a mile away. You've had to, you've had to get to... 20 feet away to go oh there they are and it's there's a few there's a few movies definitely I've watched recently I just think logistically that scene is all it's just it's the bit that they have to come out the door of the hut faces the road so if they came out the hut (laughs) snuck around the hut to one side of the horses at that point they could they could have ran across the field yeah because it's that shot from the other way that does me in they come running across the field it goes that way and you're like the hut's only 20 yards away it took them longer to go round the hut on side of the horses <laughs> than it was to cross the field to get to them i'm just like it's and also it just doesn't make any sense because the horses from the Canadian come all charging in. They're all firing guns. There's about eight gangsters with Tommy guns. <laughs> no one gets shot. That, except... That's an 18 thing, though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, no, that, but that apart is from 18. Andy Garcia's character, who, who's like, hey, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. But it just... It, I don't know. It just, I just think it's so logistically, it's all, it's all over the you, place. You better not watch the new John Wick, then, because that... <laughs> there's so much gunfire. <laughs> I know, but like, I don't know. I just think no, it's, it's a poorly executed scene, and like, it's it's play, it's just played for dramatic effect, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah, yeah. all. That's all it is. It's it's set up to be, to look dramatic. The music dramatic. I do like that scene. I I didn't see the problem, but I do have that problem with like, they've been walking for miles and then go, "There's the city." Yeah, it was like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> so the new segment we've got for box set two is. The mystery box what we've done this time is i've set a load of questions for dave which he doesn't know until he puts his hand in the box and picks one so dave put your hand in the box let's get a question i feel like we need music on this bit like or oh, some sort of mysterious thing right i'm gonna go for this one feels i do as well go on right. i haven't looked okay so Change the director of the film and why and how would it make a difference? Oh, okay. So if I was going to, if you're going to change the director, you've got to change the film almost completely, I think, to to be fair. You can't just just say, well, I'm just going to slot another. Because you could just say, I'm going to give it to Coppola. Yeah, couldn't you? Because I'm going to get you know Francis Ford Coppola could easily have directed Untouchables. Yeah, but I think he would have done it almost beat for beat. So I'm going to go with so let's go with someone completely different, someone who would change quite a bit. Then I think Michael Mann. Oh, I never thought of that. Do you like that? That one? would be interesting. Now I bet you Michael Mann's shootout scene at the hut would make more sense. <laughs> it That's would have been all amazing. I'm saying. So Michael Mann really would have played on the characters, wouldn't he? Yeah, he really would have played on that Elliot Ness. I'm thinking of Heat now. 
Yeah. Is he just going to make heat, but in 1930s Prohibition era? It would be, wouldn't it? You would in, have Elliot Ness and Capone. Now you've that. said that, actually. Are you impressed by that? The, the comparisons between <laughs> this and heaters are there. Mm. It's, it's that, you know, what are you prepared to do to get the bad guy? Do you know Because I mean? yeah. Al Pacino in heat is almost... Oh, he breaks the rules, doesn't he's, he? Yeah. He's, he's absolutely batshit crazy. Mm. Whereas... Neil McCauley, the De Niro character, yeah. is so controlled and regimented. It's 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 again, it's the, if it's breaking down the general rules of who the cops are and who who yeah. the um, the robbers are. Um, okay, so like, oh man, I'm gonna go completely bonkers just because he's a big fan. If Rob Reiner. Directed on such a <laughs> Just the, you just wanted to get Bob yeah. Miner because we love yeah. Bob Miner. I just would think it be more comedic or no? I think it'd be it because few good men has got jokes in it. Yeah, as serious yeah. as the story, as serious how the story is and the the courtroom scenes, it's actually got. I think the, I think he would add an element of comedy. I think he'd focus a lot more on the human relationship side for Rob Reiner I think it would be I think for the start you'd probably get more between Elliot Ness and his wife and the family makeup and which you don't get a lot of yeah it's 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 um it's not really there at all I just think he'd he would just he'd go in for the human emotions of it and I think actually he would we would know more about James Malloy's background if Rob Reiner directed mm. it, I think he it would be there if somehow we'd get it out. Yeah, there'd be more there'd be more dialogue focused on that that side probably, wouldn't they? But yeah, either of them, I think I'd love to see I'd love to see a Michael Mann version as equally as I'd love to see Bob Reiner one. So they'd be, and this is really this is what I love about you know what the directors do. The whole film is in is in their take. Is in their vision of, of it. And that would be two totally different versions yeah. of that film, wouldn't it? And do you know what I love as well? You could literally you could give two directors the same script and he would make different films. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, Dave, what about the impact the films had? So it only had a budget of twenty five million and went on to gross hundred and six point two million, which we know in the eighties, anything over hundred yeah. million always considered a big hit. Time magazine ranked it as one of the best films of nineteen eighty seven. It was Oscar nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which Connery won, deservedly so. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, Costume Design and Score, but not Best Film, not Best Director. Costner didn't get anything. The biggest issue was The Last Emperor picked up nine awards that year. It is, it's, which is a great film. There was so, I, look, I did look at the Oscars for that year, and there's some interesting films, but How the Untouchables is not in the nomination for Best Film. It's just, it's beyond me now. It makes no sense. Um, one of the things just to touch upon with the impression was, um, according to the producer, Art Linson, they did polls that were conducted for the film and it showed that approximately 50% of the audience were women. It's interesting. Yeah, what he said was, ordinarily a violent film attracts predominantly men, but this is also touching about redemption and relationships and because of that, audience tend to forgive the excess when it comes to violence. Which again taps into what the actual film's about mm. is like what how what are you prepared to do to, 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 to make things better? Um yeah, I think I I think impact wise the fact that Connery get an Oscar for it 
Like, he didn't really get much award. Like, Conroy's career, he didn't really... I don't think he actually got hardly any nominations or anything, considering the career he had. I think it was his only Oscar, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was his only Oscar nomination, possibly. Probably was, yeah. All right, then, Dave. Where can the listener watch The Untouchables? One option is... If people just want to come to my house, I've got it on DVD. <laughs> Are you sure you want to put that out there? I'm putting it out there because... Do you know what you've just done? You've just announced a party on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I say that is because you can't get it for free, unfortunately. So I've seen it for £2.49, which is pretty much a bargain. So you can get it on YouTube, Google Play and Amazon Prime. You are going to have to pay but £2.49. Absolutely See, I, I would say... Because I've just got the subscription to Paramount Plus because there's a few things I want to watch on yeah. there and it's on there. Is so, it on there? Yeah, yeah, it's a Paramount film, yeah. Oh, I've got Paramount Plus. I could have watched it yeah. on there. <laughs> <laughs> I was scrolling I through. I generally didn't know Literally that. scrolling through it the other week. And Party's cancelled. Well, well, actually, yeah, no one's invited. <laughs> Get your own Paramount Plus pass. So basically, I, I went on there and I was looking at the film. They've actually got some really good films on Paramount Plus. They've got like a good back catalogue. I was actually watching Mean Girls. And I saw Untouchables and I knew we'd have to watch it for this week so I was like I watched it on this so yeah so Paramount Plus is a good one so if you like this what else would you like I'm going to chuck straight Go in on. is Casino we mentioned the other week I think and for one particular reason well apart from it's like a gangster story but the the, the killing scene of Nicky, Joe Pesci's character, yeah. with the battered with the baseball bat and Barry buried, is the same. Oh my God, the same as when De Niro beats them up with the baseball bat. It's just something utterly violent. And the crack of a baseball bat hitting someone's head, that noise it makes, obviously not in real life, I don't know, but oh, so I picked that one. Yeah. I've mentioned this film multiple times already. But it's obvious with Bronx Tale. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned Bronx Tale before. Yeah, yeah I mean another De Niro link, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so I think that 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 fits in with this one, and I think Boardwalk Empire for the obvious oh, the show? prohibition era feel to it, and also to see a completely different portrayal of Al Capone by Stephen Graham, like the world part. But and Stephen Graham's absolutely brilliant in it isn't he yes um, Michael Shannon yes I think that's his best role as well I know everyone obviously talks about Steve Buscemi and I think Stephen Graham because he was so good Michael Shannon especially in that that series is definitely yeah. worth a watch so uh, they're, my, they're my ones okay. I've got two themes then I've got general just general recommendations okay. films that if you like Untouchables, you'll definitely like this. LA Confidential, which we've yeah, we've yeah, covered on definitely, the podcast. Definitely. Go back and listen to our LA Confidential um episode. You'll love that if you love this film. Carlito's Way. Yeah. Scarface. Both the Palmer films anyway. I've got one I don't think you've seen, Gangster Squad. No. With Ryan Gosling. No. That's no. really good. Um check it out. I was I was surprised by that. I didn't go see that in the cinema, I waited for it to come out and then went I wish I'd watched it in the cinema. I went with Highwayman as well, which you mentioned earlier, the Kevin Costner yeah. film with Woody Harrelson, uh, which is on Netflix. A couple of more modern ones, so Copland for one with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. I think if you like Untouchables like that. 
Many Saints in Newark. The Sopranos oh, prequel. Excellent shout, yeah. That's a great film, that, if you haven't seen it. And obviously I went with, with Heath as well. Yeah. De Niro again. De Niro obviously was in 30 Rock in season five, episode 12. So you should watch 30 Rock. Well done for getting 30 Rock in, Dave. I was expecting it. So my other topic then. And we're going to need a spoiler warning here. So we need some sort of klaxon, some sort of bell. <laughs> we, and, and we're going to slay, I'm going to be honest here. Me and Dave, we, we, we prepared for this because you mentioned it said, so... I didn't want you to not yeah. come prepared because it's not a mystery question. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so this one then, you can, you can fast forward after I say this if you yeah, want. Yeah, if you don't want. This is because of my favourite scene being when Jimmy dies. This is films or TV shows with a tragic death scene. So yeah. we might talk about things that you don't know here. <laughs> so it's up to you. Stay tuned. But the first one is, and it's not a secret, this one, Tony Stark dying in Endgame. Yes. I think that is a tragic death scene. And I think we all kind of had a feeling someone was going to die in in end game because yeah. you know a lot yeah, of those well it's called the end game it's called the end game for one <laughs> um, but a lot of those characters were coming or actors sorry were coming to the end of the contracts weren't they? Yeah, we, it was yeah, sort of obvious yeah. that end game was going to have a big pivotal moment and I think we all thought probably Cap was going to yeah. go at one point watching it I thought Thor was going to get killed when Thanos is yeah. stamping on his head and then obviously Tony with the yeah Oh, it's it, it. I can't watch it without. Do you know it's really no, what? Like the the second third time I watched it, it got me even more than the first time I watched it. Because we've been with him for yeah, was it ten years yeah, at that point. Yeah. It it yeah yeah, without doubt it it it's a monumental moment in cinematic history when Tony Stark was killed. Bambi's mother and Bambi. Yeah. Devastating. Pull back to one of um, the podcasts that we've done before. Probably won't hit as much with you, but when Wash dies in Serenity, because I'd been watching Firefly for however many years before the film came out, Firefly. I'm trying to even remember. Mike Carter. So Wash is the pilot. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. He gets he he crash lands the ship and the, the. the big spike comes through yeah, and kills yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, if know. you're a Firefly, <laughs> Firefly fan, that was devastating. And I do remember being sitting and just going, I cannot believe they've just... Because it sort of sets up a sequel, Serenity, as yeah. well, doesn't it? And you know like half of the half of those characters aren't going to be in the sequel. I know it never happened, but watching Serenity, oh, God, I'm like a leaf on the wind. He's, he's just said it. Oh, uh, Wolverine in Logan. I've I've got that on my list as well. Yeah. Like, only because, and it's really weird. I was actually talking to someone about this only the other day because you and me went to see this in the pictures, mm. and you and me bowled our fucking eyes out at the <laughs> end of this film. And I remember everyone just got up and left, and we were a mess. And I was like, there was no like, was no one else crying. To be fair, we were waiting for the for the credit and post credits that never yeah. happened no it was a... <laughs> but I but to be fair we did need to compose ourselves I, I we were both crying our eyes off. yeah I don't know if now we know Hugh Jackman's coming back for Deadpool yeah. 3 so I don't know if that's going to have an impact on that and is he just going to be playing a different 
Wolverine from a multiverse. I'm, I am a little bit worried of the impact it's going to have on the end of Logan. Yeah. Because that is a great movie. It's got its faults. I don't think it's a perfect movie. No. But it it's is a really a, good, movie. good movie. And I think his death scene's really sad. And again, it comes back to Robert Downey Jr.'s death scene. We'd been with that character yeah. for 10 years, so it was devastating. We knew it was going to be the last film, but I don't think we quite knew how he was going to die and what was going to happen. Mufasa in The Lion King. I've got a Lion King on my list as well, yeah. I've... Ellie in Up. Got Ellie on Up as well. The first 10 minutes yes. of Up. I mean, that's like, that's the most perfect 10 minutes of any open of any movie. Yeah. A couple of others I've got then. Han Solo in Force Awakens. Yeah. I'll tell you why it's devastating. Not so much the fact that he's killed by his son and Chewie's there and Chewie sees it. It's the fact that that was the first of that trilogy and you knew right there and then we were never, ever getting another scene with Han, Luke and Leia now. Yeah. And now you... And once you realise... You know, you're not thinking... I don't think a lot of viewers were probably thinking that at the time, but I was... When he when he he walks up to him and the, you know you think he's gonna he's he's turned Ben Solo and they're gonna suddenly hug and go home and and he kills him. My first thought was, well, that's it. Now when he he's not gonna see Luke. Yeah. And that was more devastating than anything. And and I, I didn't I didn't agree with the scene to be honest. No, I, I think thought it's devastating. It, I thought it was a little bit ham-fisted the way he dealt with it all. I thought it was a little bit just put in for shock value. I, I don't think well, he really thought... And to be fair, I was going to say I don't think he thought it through, but the whole epic fail of that Star Wars trilogy is nothing was thought through. They were just three great films. It, I can sit and watch every one of them three films individually. and. I think it's I I really enjoyed it, but but as a trilogy, probably for a different podcast. But as a trilogy, it's 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 well, complete, it's not thought through. I do think what it is is Harrison Ford wanted to die in the original trilogy, so I think he has made. I think he's made a deal. I think he has said, "I'll come back," but you have to you have to kill yeah. me off because imagine spending thirty forty years of your life being asked, "Are you going to come back for Star yeah, Wars? Are you yeah. going to come back for Star Wars?" And I think he said, "I'll come back, but kill me off." And I'll agree to that. But they should have had the scene with Han, Luke and Leia before that death scene. Maybe, yeah. So, John Coffey, Green Mile. Yes. The the execution scene is just devastating. Is, yeah. Devastating. And I've got one more. It's Jojo's mum in Jojo Rabbit. Oh. And it's all off camera. It's we the don't shoes. See it. it just reminded me, David, the shoes. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson plays the mum. And we know... She's not home, and yeah, he's just in the street, and you see the shoes. It's, it's and that—that's a death scene that you don't even yeah, see. The death yeah. scene—it's just a tragic death. Did you yeah. have any others? I've got a couple. Um, Marley, Marley, and Marley me. And me. <laughs> I just think when you're talking about death scenes, it's like um, William Defoe and Platoon. Oh yeah, where he's trying to get back, and it's just the most epic death scene of cinema. Mm. Um, I picked Game of Thrones, but I pick which ones you want to pick out of Game of Thrones. I've got just because of the, the sort of full circle of it. Both Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey's characters both die in it. I think are both quite yeah. memorable. 
and now they've both gone on to, to do The Last of Us. But I think out of all the deaths, The Red Wedding is shocking. I've never been more dumbstruck from a piece of cinema or TV than when that episode finished. I was. I remember walking around the house and just shock. <laughs> I couldn't. I'm speak. guessing you haven't read the books because I haven't. Because the people who I knew read, read the books knew a bit like people. Yeah, who yeah, played, yeah. No, I had a bit read like the people books. who played Last of Us knew yeah. the ending of that that yeah. series because they pretty much stuck to it. So I, in work, I knew people who were like waiting for the Red Wedding episode to come just to see how it was going to be played out. Whereas for everyone else, you know, the likes of myself and you, we were yeah, just awestruck, weren't we? Another death I don't think you can forget in Game of Thrones is Hodor. Yeah. I just think Hodor for the whole backstory and it just at that moment where you realise that he's saying hold the door yeah. is one of just utter heartbreak is just it's I think that alone is one of the greatest pieces of writing on Game of Thrones. Mm. Just that the way they've the whole story for yeah. Hodor is just genius. Um couple of mentioned Neds. No, because I think it's the obvious one. It is it's shocking because they killed off the biggest star. Yeah. But I think everyone Sean Bean dies and everything, so Yeah, he's an expert he's an expert dying. <laughs> it shouldn't it was a shock, but when you put it into perspective, Sean Bean always dies. Yeah, so of course. We yeah. should have seen it coming, shouldn't he, we? And he dies really well. He does a good <laughs> No one death. dies better, yeah. <laughs> um couple of, I went with the wire a couple of there. Now there's Omar because yeah. he gets shot by the little kid because it was so unexpected. Mm. After all that he gets shot with. And if you remember Sherrod was Bubbles' friend who was living, who basically took the overdose. Remember, because Bubbles was getting bullied and he put yeah, the poison, yeah. and that was the turning point in Bubbles' life. I just think that, and if you think of the wire, there's so many deaths, and then although, but that one always stands out for me. Um, and then the Sopranos, Adrian and Christopher. Do you know what? I I'm looking at my notes and I've got a line missing. Because I had um, I had Hodor and Adrian as, uh, was was another one. I couldn't. You can't split the both of them. I know that there's time. The, the time spans it, but, but it's still you think of Sopranos, and that's what you think about is yeah. both them episodes. And my last one is, and I'm not going to spoil this one because you haven't seen it yet. But 1983 is the a death scene. Is the oh, don't tell me. Oh, a few. God. I've got I've got one more just for me on which. Um, I thought you might have had City of God. When um it's handsome there, isn't it? Yes. When the kid actually actually shoots him, yeah. yeah. He sort of worked his way into the, the gang, hasn't he? Yeah. Forgot um, about that. That that's a shocking that's death scene one. as well, yeah. And one of our episodes you need to revisit. And also just the one where little Z gets the other kid to shoot the Yes, the, that's the runs. He actually yeah. kills one. Of that's a, that's a, you know, it was one of the scenes we spoke about. But oh well. So there you go. That was the Untouchables. That was Dave's choice this week. And maybe, just maybe, you should watch it if you can.
This was a Watch It If You Can production, executive produced by Kenny, our Val's lad, on Wake Experience. Don't forget to follow, rate and share from wherever you get your podcasts.